Thank you, Larry. And uh, just, just to give you a little background on that story. So that, that, that story about singing opera. Um, so Larry was having a counseling session. I didn't know that. Apparently, I was just kind of overcome by the spirit. And I did something like, oh, sola mia. And I said, and the great Teresa Brundage is kind of standing out there. And I can just see her through the office. I didn't know there was anyone there. And she's just standing there. She goes, sometimes we are just so happy around here. We just burst into song. <laughs> and, and, then, and then I realized what I had done. And it's a little sheepishly moved on from there. No, it is so good to be back here in Coppell, Texas, and to be at this, this church. You know, this song by Miranda Lambert, The House That Made Me, or Built, House That Built Me, yeah, House, house That Made Me. Uh, I feel like that's what this place is like, right? This is a, uh, for me, I, I was here, I came here in, in January of 2002, and was here until August of 20, uh, 2008. And what a, what a time that was for me. I really feel like the way I've put it with people, is that I feel like they kind of took me, they said, this is your sandbox. And they kind of plopped me down and they said, just go, just do it, you know, do whatever you want to do. And uh, it started off, you know, working with single adults and then it went with, you know, stacking chairs and setting up chairs and then it just kind of took off from there. Um, it, was a, it was a place where there was a blank canvas and I was given a lot of freedom to do a lot of different things and I thoroughly enjoyed my time here, the last time we were here was three years ago and my wife left and when we left the service, she said, you know, it still just feels like home. And it does, it still feels like that. So I just want you to know how grateful, how close Valley Ranch Baptist is to us. A lot of you are, you may not know me, some of you are new to me and some of you, I think I recognize you and I'm not quite sure. Others, they're just, it is, it is very, um, it's just like seeing just good friends and old friends. Uh, when I came here, this, this, was, this was not built. Um, I remember looking out the window and seeing this being built. We were meeting over in what is the children in the, the youth uh, wing right now. And I remember watching this thing being built. I remember seeing the plans for the stained glass windows. And, and I remember the, the conversations between Sherry Dixon and Kathy Lonberg about what that is going to be, what's going to be like in the, baptist, in, the, in the baptistry, and then what the big door on the outside is going to look like. And so um, there were so many different memories of watching this place grow um, and uh, seeing how it was uh, how it was built up. And I'm so grateful. And we've kept, we've kept, pro, uh, kept in check, or we've been checking up on you and seeing how things are going with you and through John and uh, just watching you and so pleased about what God is doing in your midst. Um, I did bring with me um, my, uh, my wife of 23 years, my wife Heather, who's sitting down here today. I wanted to show you a few pictures because they asked for pictures, you know. So honestly, I have camera, I have like on my, cam uh, my, my, my phone, I have very few pictures, so I'm rolling the dice here. This is what it looks like to wake up in Yellowstone National Park when you've been sleeping in the back of a camper van. Do you notice the nice hair that she has right there? Isn't that lovely? And I know some of you are probably sitting next to you like, if you ever show a picture <laughs> like that. That's right. Anyway, 23 years, uh, loved. Uh, she is the, the love of my life, life partner, and I, 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 love, I love my wife, Heather. She is here today. And then my, our oldest son, Danny, was actually born uh, while we were here at this church. His name, he is 15 years old. This is, he was celebrating his 15th birthday right here. His, his youngest brother, his, well, his only brother, Lincoln, is right there. Uh, Danny is about right up to here now on me. So he is built like me, meaning he is an odd body type, loose-limbed, loose lanky, built like a gibbon. 
if you know what that is. Uh, so there you go. So that's Danny. Then Lincoln is Mr. Personality. Uh, loves, loves people, loves animals. Um, and so this was taken while we were at, uh, we were lying on the floor in, uh, in my, my wife's family farm. And so we were, uh, that was, uh, uh, he is uh, just love, just a bundle of energy right now. And then we also had our, our cat who we actually got here. We actually got a cat here. It was modeled. She died in December. Everyone on the count of three. Oh, yeah, there you go. Thank you. We appreciate your compassion. Um, the, these are our two new additions, uh, Jerry and Winston and they are brothers. They are really cute. Very fat, chubby, kid, chubby cat. So that's us. But after I served here in 2008, um, I went to work at a, a pastoral residency program uh, at Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas. I was there for two years and then went to go um, serve as the senior pastor over at Chilson Hills Church in, um, uh, as, as Larry said, in the Southeast Michigan near Detroit, about an hour from Detroit. Um, and, uh, but it, during, the, uh, during that time, um, I have been in, I've been staying in close relationship um, with, um, with my brother and my best friend, John. And um, I say that I've had people that have told me before, it says like, you know, you can't say someone, your wife is your best friend. I'm like, no, she is my life partner. She is my wife, but that's my best friend. That's my brother. And uh, I, have, uh, I have enjoyed my relationship with, we talk every two weeks. And um, if I forget, then he will call me. And, um, but he rarely forgets and I call him. So sometimes I will call him too. Um, we call each other Jacob and Esau. And the reason why we call each other Jacob and Esau is I was born on August the 2nd and he was born on August the 3rd. We are a day apart. Uh, and if you wanna know something really weird, Micah was born on August the 2nd, 10 years later than us. So, I mean, that's just, there's something about you know, I mean, 10 years, did I say that right? Did I say that right? Yeah, okay. So, um, but yeah, it's just like crazy. There's something about August here in Valley Ranch Baptist Church. Uh, but we, um, we, we have been shared life together. Um, we, um, we just enjoy, I enjoy him. When I first came here, he was, um, gosh, you know, he was this, um, this, this skinny white guy. He's still a skinny white guy. And he has a... <laughs> Wore, uh, wore sweater vests and pleated pants. <laughs> Actually wore pleated pants at that time and uh, didn't know if I could trust the guy who wore pleated pants. But, um, but really have um, joy, enjoyed as our friendship has grown. And one of the stories that John loves to remind me about often is what happened on the, on the day that he was being, he was basically being interviewed by the congregation as he was coming on board at the, uh, here as the, the music minister here at Valley Ranch. And I remember, I think I was just a very bold and um, silly young man at the time. And I, um, and I said to him, I remember I just started raising my hand and I said, John, in a single declarative sentence, would you please summarize your philosophy of ministry? <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you're like, what is a declarative sentence first of all? Um, you know, first of all, a declarative sentence is, you should not say that. That's a declarative <laughs> sentence. But that was the question that I asked him. Is it in a single declarative sentence, would you please describe your philosophy of ministry? And, and I can't even remember what John said. I don't think it was very impressive. Um, <laughs> but there has, been much, there has been much laughter over the year about whether or not about, about that story. And he reminds of me frequently. And he kind of, but here's just for this morning, just... I want to push back a little again, a little again then, I'm about, you know, on that phrase. I want to push back. 
I think it's a thoughtful, I mean, it's a, it's a helpful thought experiment, I think, for all of us to go through here today. If you could boil something down, if you could boil that down to the thing that you do, to a single phrase or a single sentence, what would it be? If you could figure out the essence of something, what would it be? Like one, I, I, th- I was thinking about this and just thinking of like the, all the songs that, the powerful songs that are there. Like what, what could, you know, like there are certain songs that I like to sing and I can't even remember any of the words, but I come to this one line and that line just stands out to me. And so I was thinking about a few of those today and if we want to bring those up. So like, so Benny King, right? I won't be afraid just as long as you stand, stand by me, right? Um, Louis Armstrong's, what a wonderful word. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world, you know. In every life, we have some trouble, but when you, when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy, right? And then if you only get one, yeah, this is, there you go. If you only get one shot, do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime, Eminem. Yes, Eminem got quoted here on Sunday morning. <laughs> went, di- went the distance down back on my feet, just a man and his will to survive. The eye of the tiger. Yes. Those are some of those phrases that you can just boil those songs. You just remember those lines. It's just like, oh, it hits you right there, right? And then I was thinking about like a different other things, like, so, like a movie. So for a long time, my favorite movie of all the time, of all time, was a movie called A Few Good Men, right? A Few Good Men. And if you, you know what I'm talking about. If I tell you to boil that movie down to one line, right? I want the truth. And what is it? You can't handle the truth. That was really good on cue. That was beautiful. <laughs> then you're like, the, I still remember it to this day. The, uh, I remember Larry, where he was standing on the stage when he took a book called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And he read this story. He read this little phrase. He says, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from February 1998, Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. I just remember that just hitting me like a ton of bricks. And just remember like that was, if I could just take that book and just that story, that would just make it for me. The line that makes a speech or some phrase that was spoken. We think about, for instance, Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The Gettysburg Address, of course, right? That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. These are all examples, right? If we were to kind of boil these things down and find the essence, the bare, just that one phrase that really hits home. They're more than slogans. They almost carry the freight of what is being communicated, the, the whole body of it. Well, John, as I said before, I really have not heard exactly what your single declarative sentence is in the philosophy of ministry. I'm not sure what it really is, but I guess that you've made it 20 years, so I guess it really doesn't matter at this point, right? (laughs) But 
So when I, but when I did ask John about like, what, what is a phrase? I mean, what is a, a passage or what, what passages of scripture would be helpful to hear before? He brought up a passage of scripture that many of us knows, but it wasn't the passage. He boiled it down to the one phrase. And it's the very first verse from the 23rd Psalm. And I want us to read it together here today. I wanted to read it, let's just read it in unison. Many of you know this by heart. Some of you will know it by the King James. And if you want to break into the King James, then go ahead and do that. But let's go ahead and read this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Walter Brueggemann refers to that passage, that, I mean, that, that chapter of scripture that many of you know. He refers to it as a psalm of confidence. I love that. It is. It is a psalm, in some, and he also calls it a psalm of new orientation. We look at life, and we are somehow able to see it differently when we consider who God is. We see that the Lord is mentioned twice in that psalm. He's mentioned at the very beginning and very end. The, no, the Lord, I mean Yahweh, he's, noticed, he's named at the very beginning and the end. That's the bookends of the passage. What John did is he took that very first line, and he said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing, or I shall not want, or I have everything that I need. It's all contained, really. If we look at that one chapter, it really is all contained in that one little phrase right now. And that's really good news because, really, we need to know that the Lord is our shepherd because we, frankly, are like sheep. And when I say that we're like sheep, we are all afraid and we are fearful, we are vulnerable, we are Sometimes they're willful and belligerent, and sometimes we are just frankly a little dull and dim-witted. Sometimes we are very needy, and we are, uh, we, are, uh, we are weak. Sometimes we're oblivious and clueless about what's going on around us. Sometimes we're just flat-out selfish. And that's how, how many of us find ourselves. We are, we are like sheep, and, and, and John is a part of that flock of sheep that we are all here today. We, uh, and, and John and I have talked about this. We've met together, and we participated in what's sometimes called self-leadership, where we are looking inside, we're examining ourselves, and then seeing how we can strengthen, how we can grow. But at the same time, we recognize that there are times where we just need leadership from outside of us. That we ourselves, I love how the 12-step program says that we, found our, we find ourselves sometimes powerless to do it on our own. And so what we need is we need the leadership of a good, she, a good shepherd. And we need also for to be, sometimes I, I look to John to be a shepherd in my life and sometimes he looks to me to be his. The truth is we are, because the truth is we are like sheep. I remember when I was working one summer at a, um, for a, um, a, 
a contractor who had a small farm and I was just there to do tasks and we had, he had a little small flock of sheep and he had one dominant ewe. And this ewe was just a tremendously large animal. And I remember um, he had a son who played, uh, played on the offensive line at University of Illinois. So he was a large man, 330 pounds or something like that. And I remember we were having a hard time struggling. We were struggling to get these sheep into a certain area and I remember the U challenged this young offensive lineman one day. And I remember he did that. And he just, I just remember them squaring off, standing against each other. And the U tried to dodge around him. And I remember this guy with his big, huge, meaty hands just grabbed the back by the wool, grabbed his back by the wool. He lifted it up so its, its hind legs were there and then just threw it back. And that you did not, I mean, move after that. I mean, it did not try any more to move forward anymore. Sometimes we are like that you, right? We are like that sheep where we are willful and we are dim-witted, where we don't recognize our limitations, where we don't really recognize our boundaries. And we are in need of sometimes of the grip of a shepherd who will take us and move us from here to there. In the end, we are just sheep in need of a shepherd. But the question is, how do we go about choosing our shepherds? How do we know what shepherds to follow? Because really, you have, many she- you have many shepherds to choose from. You have many people that you could choose to be, or many different influences in your lives who will guide you and move you from here to there. I tell people a lot, you need to be a think about who you have in your stable of shepherds. Collect a group of shepherds around you. And what does that really look like? Well, I, we are, I am a Chicago Bears fan. I was raised in the Chicago area. And so I'm a Chicago Bears fan. And right now, we are really enthusiastic about our rookie quarterback, Justin Fields. He just got drafted. And I mean, my goodness, he's like a messianic figure to the entire city. You guys are excited about Dak. Okay, fine. You're hoping he's going to come back. But we are excited about our rookie quarterback. And I remember hearing the offensive coordinator when they were talking to him in a media, in a, uh, just a meet the press time. And they were asking about how he's doing in camp. And he says, you know, Justin has to know. He says, and you look around camp, you can look at guys that are doing it okay and guys that are doing it pretty good, and guys that are doing it great, and guys that are doing it not so good. And Justin knows which guys to be watching. Now that's an example of someone who is looking at their, who looks at their, uh, their list that has considered their shepherds, the people that are in their realm of influence and who they are following. And, 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 and so what we do uh, in our lives is we do just that. That we consider the people that are influencing us. We consider the influences in our own lives and how they are guiding us and how they are taking, where they are taking us to. I I remember um, being in gym class um, and I remember the big anxiety when we were in high school gym class was that we were going to have to take square dancing. Oh gosh, square dancing, meaning that we would have to kind of be paired up with some girl, you know, and that we were just really anxious about it. And I remember what this, the, you know, what square dancing was like, you know, you would kind of get in a circle and you would kind of do the whole link arms and kind of around. And what would happen is, and you would kind of find yourself all of a sudden paired with a different person. And so there was a different person to follow. There's a person, different person to lead. I think sometimes we're like that, that we sometimes 
are not necessarily considering who our realm, who our shepherds are, who is really truly leading us. And soon we're just linked up with someone else and we're linked up with this and we're just kind of floating from here to there. And so the challenge for each one of us is to consider our, consider who are we watching? Who are we following? Who is in our stable of shepherds as they are guiding us? And the question is, is then how do we know when we found that right one? Well, I think what we find is when we look at this example of Psalm 23, we find that there is a, uh, that a good shepherd is going to be the kind of shepherd that will reflect the values, the characteristics of God. It will reflect those. They will, they will embody them. They will live them out. We see this picture in, in Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. For, notice those verbs that it's used. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths. I, I, the, he, he guides me along the right paths in the, in the wilderness. He is with us in the darkest valley. He comforts us. He provides for us in hostile places. He anoints us or he refreshes us. And then he just seems to kind of gush at the very end of that psalm, the writer does. He says, my cup is overflowing. He provides Throughout scripture, we find shepherds being used as a metaphor for leadership. And there are a lot of sometimes these, these, these leaders or these shepherds, as they are referred to, did, were good and sometimes they were bad. If we look in the, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, we see Jeremiah in chapter 2 that, that, that Jeremiah criticizes, the prophet criticizes these leaders that they have because they are not acting as responsible, um, responsible leaders. And a, uh, they are not a responsible shepherd. He uses that metaphor. That they are, and, and they, what makes them bad is that they destroy, they scatter, they expose, they neglect. Sometimes those, those shepherds were good, but many times they were not. And so the metaphor of a shepherd, I think probably, maybe to the people in that time, could be a bit confusing because it had probably been tarnished over time. Kind of like a a senator or maybe a pastor or a priest or an officer or a judge. Those words, those titles can sometimes be tarnished based on the era or that particular season. But then what we find here, right, in this passage, in Psalm 23, what we find later on in the New Testament is we find the redemption of that metaphor. We find that metaphor being brought to new life, when Jesus comes onto the scene, we find in chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He is not a cowardly hired hand. He is not, he calls to his sheep and the sheep know, his, know him by name. He wants to give people, uh, give the sheep life and that they would have it to the full, Jesus says in verse 10 of that 10th chapter. And Jesus then exemplifies this later on as he, is, as he is ministering to his disciples, as he takes them out, as he teaches them, as he leads them and he guides them. There was one scene where he, you know, he, he challenges them and he says, why did you doubt, right? Why did you doubt? I am with you. I'm the good shepherd. 
There's moments during moments of crisis. He is with them during the, during the, in, during the miracles, when he performs miracles to the, to the crowds. He, 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 he feeds 5,000. He provides for them. He challenges people like a good shepherd would when he challenges the rich, the rich young ruler. And he says, come and follow me and sell everything that you have. He, is, he, he provides for his flock. He provides for us. He shows and demonstrates throughout, throughout the Gospels spiritually and physically. There's no, no differentiation between those, no distinction. And so to everyone here, everyone who is gathered here today and to John as well, you may not be able to sum up your purpose, your ministry, whatever you're doing using a single declarative sentence, but you do have this one, and that is because the Lord is your shepherd, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. It's not a future or it's not a future or even a past tense. It's not like you had everything you need or you will have everything. You have everything you need right now. I, our, our sons are taking an online class with a, um, a, a young guy named Mark Rober. And Mark Rober has worked for NASA and all these different kinds of things. And he's, he's like a builder. So he takes all these different things and he puts them together. And we asked them recently, he said, well, what did you learn today? And they said to me, they said, well, you need to spend a lot of money on a lot of stuff that we don't have. <laughs> Which was a little disheartening. But that's, you know, that, that's what we don't, exactly what we don't want you to hear today. And that's not what, the, what Psalm 23 is saying, is that you have something. You have enough. You have everything that you need right now. You have enough to do what God has called you to do right now. When I have, uh, as I... Um, one thing that I didn't mention about my, my current career is I've been serving as the pastor of our church for the last 10 years, but I am in the process of transitioning over to hospital chaplaincy. Um, and so what that looks like is that I will begin a, a what they call a chaplain residency at um, a large hospital in our area that will begin actually in about a week. Um, and I will shift to that full-time and I will be part-time at our church where I'll be sharing responsibilities um, with, um, with my co-pastor, and so uh, she and I will be, will be splitting responsibilities, and I will be moving towards being a chaplain. And part of our training that we've been doing as we have been looking and considering what it means to be a chaplain is we have been considering, because what's so strange and what is so really unsettling is that when you are a hospital chaplain, you walk into every room, and you're walking in blind, Sometimes you have a chart, but you walk in line and you have no idea. You've never met this person before. And so you literally walk in and it's just you. I mean, it's all you have to offer is just yourself. And so the line that we have been saying, that they have been saying to us over and over again is you are enough for that particular situation. And I have pushed back against that too because I've thought, I'm like, I don't like this phrase. I don't like say I'm, I'm, I am enough or I'm good enough or that this, is, that this is what I have to offer is good enough. But that is exactly what we have had, we have had to grapple with. And I love the, the quote from Brene Brown who says, we live in a culture of never enough. Never good enough, skinny enough, popular enough, never enough Twitter followers. And there is only one way out of, scare, out of scarcity, and that is enoughness. At some point, we just need to say enough. 
I am enough. What I am doing is enough. It's about what, waking up in the morning and saying, no matter what gets done and how much is done and how it's done, I'm enough. And I'm worthy of belonging and love and joy. We have something, I think, similar. Something that takes us even further, I think, in Scripture. When we look in the New Testament, we read the writings of Paul, who says, in my life first, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient. It's enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. I am enough. John, you have everything you need. You don't need another book. You don't need another car, another raise, another house, another drink, another class, another degree, another hour, another minute, another 20 years of ministry. You have everything you need right now because you follow a good shepherd. You follow a good shepherd. You pray and you pay attention to good shepherds around you, many who are in this room here today. You read scripture, you listen, and you serve, and you give, and you, and you follow the example of that good shepherd. And so what you do is you move forward with courage and with confidence, the confidence that we see in Psalm 23. I was reminded as I was preparing this of the, um, of the wonderful biblical archaeologist and, schol- and scholar Ray Vanderland. Many of you have probably heard of Ray Vanderland. He's done a lot of different DVDs and things like that where he takes people all over the Holy Land. And John got a chance to visit the Holy Land and so I know he'll, he'll remember some of the things that Ray has talked about. But during one of his particular episodes, he talks and he looks at, he says, one of the things that we do when we read the story of Psalm 23 is we get this image because that's the image, the image that we have constantly been conveyed is one of a sheep that is belly deep in alfalfa, right? And all they do is they just kind of lay there like our two cats there, right? Lay there and they just, just chew away and they eat at this, this glorious alfalfa and they don't have to do anything. But what he says is it's very different than that if you go to the Holy Land. Because if you go to the Holy Land, it is very arid. Very arid and very dry. Um, and, and so there are these paths that the shepherds take their sheep on. And the, she- the sheep do not stay close to the, do not stay close to the, to the towns because that's where the fields were. And you didn't want your sheep, hang, sheep hanging around in the, sheep, in the fields because if they did, they'd probably start eating the fields and the crops. And so they moved them out into the wilderness. And so the shepherds had these ancient paths, these paths, uh, these paths that they would lead them along. And these paths were along a hillside and they were just far apart so that sheep could reach in between these, these Um, these paths and they could chew the small tufts of grass that are there. 
And so when it talks about green pastures, you may not think they're green pastures, but there is a little bit of moisture that comes into these areas and there's a little bit of rain and what would come up would literally be these little clumps of grass. And the shepherds would take, lead their sheep along the side, along a hillside, and these sheep would walk along and as they would go, they would eat a clump of grass and then the shepherd would lead them a little farther and the, the sheep would eat a little bit more. And that is what it means when sheep are being led to green pastures. It's not about them slovenly laying down and eating to their, to their heart's delight in, in alfalfa, in belly deep alfalfa. It is about being led by a shepherd bit by bit, step by step, and getting just enough. Isn't that the way that our lives are? But sometimes we don't know how the day is going to end. We don't know how we're going to make it tomorrow. We don't know if we're going to have enough for tomorrow, if we're going to make it to this. But it is the good shepherd who leads us and guides us and directs us. And as the good shepherd is, we get just enough for this moment, the next 10 minutes, the next hour, the next day. We're not going to worry about the next day. I love the quote that, he, he, that Ray Vanderland brought, brought up. He brought up a quote from a, a Jewish rabbi, and he said, worrying is dealing with tomorrow's problems in today's pasture. How true is that? That we worry when we, say, we start wondering about what's going to happen, what's going to happen tomorrow, but we need to be worrying about. We just need to just trust in the good shepherd and what the shepherd is going to do. Last night, I was able to, we got a chance to go visit with a good friend of ours. Um, because the last time that we were here, as I said, was a much sadder, much more tragic circumstances. We were here because a good friend of mine had suddenly passed away. He was a couple years older than I was, and he had died of a heart attack, leaving behind um, his wife and three, um, and three, young, three sons. And... Um, um, she has now, um, her name is Natalie Reed, and she has now since been remarried, and um, uh, she and her, um, uh, she and her husband have put together a ministry to minister to widows, and they took this, they took this, um, this house, this beat up house in Louisville. And I mean, it really, it was, there was nothing there. There was no reason that they should be buying this thing. There was, it was highly irresponsible, in my opinion, that they would buy this place. And yet they bought this place and they, tore, they broke it down and they created it into this wonderful haven that they literally call today Broken Halo Haven that they use to minister to grieving widows who just need a place to go and to rest and to have a retreat. And I remember I was talking to her husband about it. And I said, like, how are you feeling about this? I mean, what are you, how are you doing about this? And he looked at me and he said, I am more confident. I am, I actually said this, I am less confident about what's going to happen tomorrow. Like I have no idea about what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't really know, but I am more confident than ever about where I'm going. And I thought, man, that's a good shepherd. That's that he is following a good shepherd there. I hope that some of you will trust in a good shepherd, that you will gather around you good shepherds who can help remind you and point you to the good and to, to, the, to the Lord who is your shepherd. I hope you will follow the example of my brother and my friend, John, who has been my shepherd and has also followed a good shepherd. 
Let's pray. Almighty God, we are grateful that you have not neglected us or left us to walk through the dark valleys of life on our own. Instead, you have stood, you have stood there and you have been our good shepherd. And we are grateful that when it was difficult for us to truly imagine what that looked like, you sent to us, you, you wrapped yourself in flesh and you showed us your son Jesus, who showed us what it was like to be a shepherd, who showed us what a good shepherd is like, Oh God, there are so many different shepherds in our world. There's so many influences that we could choose to follow. And yet you, you sent us your son, Jesus. And we can trust in him. We can trust in him today. We can decide today that we will follow him. That we will push to the side all other influences we will lay behind the burdens that bear, that keep us from moving forward. We will move with bravery and courage because you are, you are brave and you are courageous, our good shepherd. God, I pray that we would decide today in this moment to follow you. And we thank you. We thank you for being that for us today. Our good shepherd, our loving savior. Amen.